0: Hey, Becoming Me. I am so excited to introduce you to my warrior friend Kristen. Kristen, welcome to Becoming Me. Thank you. Excited to have the conversation. I'm so excited. And y'all, Kristen's not a stranger to becoming me. I mean, we've had a warrior conversation. You're a friend to me. And it literally was recently that I was like, how have we not shared Kristen's Becoming Story? So I am so honored today. Um, just to unpack your story, who you are, who you're becoming. And before we get there. Um, I know that there, there will be people who are watching and they're like wait but who's Kristen I don't know her yet so take a minute introduce yourself and just like who's Kristen so oh gosh who
1: am I so I live I'm in my mid-40s sometimes mm-hmm. I say that for shock effect because people go you look younger thank you thank you sunscreen you're welcome, yeah. you're welcome. So I, eh, gosh, I live in Atlanta, but I was born and raised in California. So it's a really interesting tension because I feel very, very Californian. But at the same time, Atlanta's, you know, been where I've been for 13 years. So that also feels so much of who I am now. So and it's very opposite. Those are so different cultures. So one is kind of the fast pace, appearance driven, and the other is the Slower, overly polite, so there there's definitely competing cultures, but let's see, I think something that someone would not know about me. There's an impression of me that I thrive in the city, and that would not be untrue. However, what people don't know is that I grew up in the country raising sheep and goats for thirteen years. So again, that goes back to this competing culture that sort of lives inside of me. So I thrive in like the New York City life, but my entire childhood was spent getting up at 530 in the morning to feed and walk the sheep um, and, to, awesome. and getting on the school bus, you know? So I did that all the way, you know, from a child till I graduated from high school. So I feel very chameleon-like that I can fit into a lot of different cultures. So just kinda
0: that's just kind of highlight. I did not know that about you. That's a really fun fact. That was in California? Too? Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That's so fun. I love it. Well, let's just dive into your story. Let's go there. Okay. So I would love for you to just take a couple of minutes, take some time and unpack your journey. Like what has made you who you are today? We just got this really fun sneak peek of, of your childhood, right? But what's made Kristen who Kristen is now?
1: I well, obviously, the most so I did not grow up in the church, I didn't grow mm-hmm. up in a Christian family. So I became a Christian on my college campus. So that was really formative. So it's always it's always funny to talk about because so it's called crew now. But when I was in college, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And you know, the premise if you're familiar with crew is, you know, you walk around sharing your faith with this little, you know, booklet. Mm -hmm. So my roommates were Christians and they did that every week. That was just what they did as 19 year olds and 18 year olds. And so I was living with them and I said, what do you guys do? What do you, and again, I had already had months of living with them up until this point. So, so that's important to the story. And so anyway, I said, what do you guys do when you walk around campus? And my one roommate goes, well, do you want to come with us? And I said, okay, sure. So we met, I remember it was a Friday in, gosh, 2000, or no, 1997. It was a Friday. And so I met her on campus at lunch. And so me and my roommate... We walked around and my roommate's name was Carrie. And she goes, we'd walk up to strangers. Hi, I'm Carrie. This is my roommate, Kristen. We're sharing our faith. Do you have some, do you have a few minutes? Because again, that was just the model, you know, that. And so everyone said no. I don't know why they would say no to that. But one person said yes. And so she goes, great. So this stranger sits in the middle. I'm on one side and my roommate carries on the other side. So you just read through the tract. You know, and so number one, God loves you. It has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, number two, man is sinful. Number three, Jesus died for man's sin. And I remember going, "Oh, that's how Jesus fits into the equation." Oh, okay, cool, I get it. So I, I mean, not everyone has a date, and that's not, you know, that's not going to make or break your salvation. But for me, it was May seventh, nineteen ninety seven. I figured out what it means to have a personal relationship with the Jesus. So that is an important part of the story because it just shaped, and it was interesting because I think so many times you hear people's faith stories Mm -hmm. and it's, it's some version of they hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And so, and they looked and they looked up and and I'm not trying to minimize any of that. I mean, that's wonderful. But for me, it was, I was so craving community and a sense of belonging. And I come from a broken home and I just wanted to fit in and I wanted this family. Mm-hmm. And that's what being a Christian and having a relationship with God. So that was like the, the kind of the, the carrot that dingled in front of me for wanting to yeah. pursue who God was. And so that was re- a really big deal to step into this kingdom living in this instant and the, you know, being a part of God's family, but being able to practically feel that in my daily life. And so it gave me a passion for really wanting to order my life around, wanting people to feel included, wanting people to feel valued and seen and heard like they were a part mm-hmm. of something. And so it is why even now I am really passionate about doing life with non-Christians. Because I don't know if I've ever said this to you or not, but I, it's something that always sticks with me: is that there are plenty of people who will never go to church. That's never going to be their thing. They will never step foot in the church, but they will have a relationship with me, and I might be the only Bible that they're ever going to read. Yeah. So I really want to steward that well mm-hmm. and honor that relationship. And again, they don't need to go to church to have a relationship with Jesus or to begin that relationship. So, and I'm fine with that. So I want to. do as much life with them as possible because again that's so reflective of my personal story you know so that's really important I think and then just even growing up you know it's funny I told someone this the other day when you become a Christian through a parachurch organization Mm -hmm. like Campus Crusader it could be anyone that was just mine then all of a sudden you think okay well now I'm going to go on staff with them because that's what you're supposed to do (laughs) I did not do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but I was started walking down, but I remember being involved with crusade during, you know, during that time. And I remember I uh, had become friends with a girl who was part of crusade and her fiance was going to the seminary. I didn't know what seminary was. I said, well, what is that? She said, well, it's where you get a mass. Master- Basically it's you get a master's in the Bible. I'm like, cool. I want to do that. So I am like walking through college with my sight setting on getting a master's in the Bible, I always joke that by the time I got to seminary, I did figure out what it was. So that was helpful. <laughs> um, but that really gave me, I'm so thankful for that as well, because it gave me such a passion for really wanting to understand scripture. And someone said this phrase to me the other day, he uh, and they said, you know, it's so important to be able to exegete scripture and exegete mm. culture and to do one without the other, I think kind of leaves you imbalanced. And so I really, I just value that because it it just, it teaches you to how to critically think and systematically think and logically think about what truth is, but that is so applicable to, okay, life and how do you unpack mm life and within some of those same critical thinking skills how do you marry the two and that's where you know Mm -hmm. feet on the ground situation is but I just I mean that's kind of a convoluted way to share some of my story but it is it it sort of fills in the gaps to sort of what makes me tick and who I am why I interact with people the way I do
0: right no, it definitely does does. It gives a clear picture of that and why it's so important to you too. Like that's the very thing that you were searching for and how you met Jesus personally up close. Like I love that. Thank you for unpacking your story. And I do know this about you, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. Are you a coffee drinker? Um, a hundred percent yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, girl. Okay, so tell us how you drink your coffee. Okay, this is going to make
1: people probably be horrified. But I drink insane amounts of coffee, and it is decaf.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that you drink like only decaf coffee. It's so people go. What is the purpose
1: of that? I said, listen, the amount of coffee that I'm drinking, I'm confident I'm getting as much caffeine as you all. I just get to enjoy it for longer hours in the in the
0: morning. <laughs> Wait, so, how, how many cups of coffee are we tr- talking here? Well, it's probably
1: not that many.
0: So. Uh, it's so like I do the
1: coffee pot not the Keurig it takes okay. different to me so I do that I do
0: agree I agree okay thank you I feel You're like
1: unpopular opinion
0: I agree with that one
1: but so I probably will make again it's over hours <laughs> so I'll probably make like 10 cups in the like the in the okay. coffee pot but you okay. know cups
0: is one mug so come on <laughs> true you know I have thought that recently as well because in the morning I'll typically make like the six you know cup and I'm like that's a lot of coffee but it's like two mugs for me so I'm like really it's two cups of coffee even the coffee maker is saying six so it's not not six (laughs) no that's a little cup of coffee (laughs) Yeah, now mine is caffeinated so I don't know (laughs) what that says but you drink it black cream and sugar
1: Cream and sugar, I put in the non, like that non-dairy powdered creamer in it. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay. Is there a certain flavor to that?
1: No, it is the grocery store brand.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I'm curious, like if you were having a decaf cup of coffee with someone else, okay, you're enjoying cup number 10 on this particular day and this person's having their cup of coffee, you're chatting, you're talking about your own becoming journeys, what would you say to encourage them to become who God made them to be?
1: Oh, good question. I would say I was actually thinking about this com- this morning, totally unrelated to this conversation, but I had just happened mm-hmm. to read something this morning and it and this thing that I was reading this morning it was like a little blurb in a book and it was just talking about the idea of comparing yourself to someone else is such sideways energy which of course duh that's not a novel concept we know that but for i would say for my entire 30s that's a long that's 10 years at least i was constantly feeling like i wasn't good enough or talented enough or skilled enough because i was surrounded by so many intelligent smart people and i was and i thought in order to be whatever, enough, fill in the blank enough. I needed to be like them. And it really, it took me this good 10 years to sort of wrestle with that. And I'm not saying I don't struggle with that now, but in my forties, I'm way more comfortable in my own skin. And the reason is, is because even though there are plenty of people who can do similar things that I can do, whether they can, you know, write things that sound halfway decent or speak in a way that they don't get really scared on stage, you know, some, but whatever that is, Um, there isn't anyone I had to really come to terms and own the fact there's no one with my personality, my DNA, my history. I am the only one. So outwardly, there might be similar skill sets, but there's no one on the planet besides me with all of those things. Mm -hmm. So that means if I am still here, then I am the only one that I can do what I can do. And it took me a long time to live into that. But that I feel like Mm -hmm. is something that I am constantly saying to other people. Uh, that whole idea is like I get it. There's lots of like lots of filmmakers, lots of movie producers, lots of CEOs, mm-hmm. lots of them. But but they're still so specifically unique because no one has their family history or their life experiences or their their you know personality wiring. So again, mm-hmm. there might be lots of them and there might be lots of us. But part of becoming you and becoming me is owning but there's still only one me with all of those specific things that make up me. So that means there is no one that can do, there's a job for me to do that only I can fulfill. Same for you, same for anyone else. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with that idea and to really just to own it and to stop comparing because again, it really is, it's, it's sideways energy.
0: Yeah. No, I love how you worded that too. And for maybe somebody who was watching or maybe having that cup of decaf coffee with you and they're like, okay, I hear you. And I see the freedom you're walking in now and that you're owning that there's only one Kristen, right? How do I get there? If somebody's still struggling with that comparison game and they're extending that sideways energy, what are a couple practical steps they can take to really own who they are?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Well, number one, I think you really got to be convinced that God, you know, who God is in your life, you really have to be convinced Mm -hmm. that the only one you're trying to please is God. And when you get caught up in trying to get the applause of your friend or your boss or your neighbor or your coworker, that can start to spin you out of control. Because when you don't get that applause, what does that do to you? So, and part of that comes with being I think stewarding what's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, not looking to see what's right in front of someone else, but okay. So what is your job today? It might not be your forever job. You might hate your job. That's normal. That happens, but it's still your job today. Mm -hmm. And it's, so how do you be a good steward of what, and know that, Hey, I gave this my all today. And, and if, the, if, and whatever my best is, that's what I gave. And I can't compare that best to someone else because this was my best. So, and that's okay. And so, so when you, when we can get to a place where we realize, okay, I did everything I could do today. I was responsible with what was in front of me, whether that was a relationship, I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone needed a listening ear and I, and I stopped as as opposed to, Hey, I'm busy. I got to go, go to Trader Joe's, you know? <laughs> Uh, But I I think when you develop those habits, that slowly begins to change the trajectory of where you're going. Again, I don't think that being comfortable in your own skin is an overnight quick fix. I think it can take months, if not years for people. Well, it took years for me. I'm not an overachiever in that category.
0: Now that's so helpful. Like, and thank you for just unpacking that and sharing it. It's something that I say often, like choose to be you. And in my own story, I found myself coming to a spot at one point where I felt like I didn't know who I wanted to be. And that's when my dad challenged me, like, you know who you want to be. You just have to choose to be you. And I think when we choose to be who we are, you stop comparing, you stop extending that sideways energy. Like you shared And you just start being comfortable in your own skin and what freedom that that's inviting us into. I love that.
1: Right. That's so good. You totally just reminded me of something. I remember uh, like maybe five, like, I don't know how long ago it was, five years ago, maybe Mm -hmm. in the storyline in my head was I needed to walk into the room and be a big, giant personality and be Mm -hmm. really, because that was, I thought that was, everybody likes the fun people. Whereas I am a stronger personality but I'm not like this really loud dominant like that I'm you know I'm not the life of the party I'm yeah. ju- I'm more quietly dominant <laughs> when I come into a room. So but I remember and mm. I remember someone cuz I thought that that was what I was supposed to be mm. because yeah. that's what I saw other people who were like that got a lot of attention. And I remember I was doing that one day and the person I was meeting with I walked into his office and he said can I give you some feedback?
0: The worst words
1: ever. <laughs> I like, yeah. and he goes, You seem like you have a lot of nervous energy about so mm-hmm. nervous energy about you. And and I I'm so glad he said that because what he was experiencing was me trying to be someone that I wasn't. Yeah. And and how it came across to someone else was you have a lot of nervous energy about you. And I mean, it's so wow. embarrassing when you hear stuff like that. But I'm glad, you know, hindsight, I'm glad because then it was like, okay, Kristen, stop whatever this charade is and what you think you're supposed to be. Just walk into a room how you would walk into a room. If someone doesn't like it, like that doesn't matter. Like
0: it doesn't matter.
1: I just be who I am when I walk into a room.
0: I love that. Be who you are when you walk into a room. That's mic drop so encouraging, like, thank you for empowering and inviting us to walk into that freedom on our becoming journeys. And that's really the core and the foundation of becoming you, you've got to own you, like you can't become somebody else, you can only become you. Um, You know, Kristen, I also know you are an author, you're doing a lot of amazing things. How can people like connect with your books with you? If you want to tell us a little bit about your books? How can people (laughs) connect with you?
1: so the short the short commercial for the book is beyond the swipe and the target audience is honestly young like younger women is really who I was writing to meaning gosh what would I have wanted to hear as a 24 or 25 year old not to say that the book is limited to that age but that was sort of who I had in mind myself at that age and so really just wanting to speak into the space of how do you have healthy relationships in the context of dating. So okay. that's, all, that's, that's all that is.
0: So, and where can people connect with you online? So the easiest
1: way is Instagram. My last name is Fry. So I, re- so I was trying to go for Fry Girl. That was taken,
0: you know, back when we were all creating Instagram <laughs> handles. So it's K Fry Girl. <laughs> I love it. And we'll have that link in the show notes so people can easily connect with you and the link to your book so they can go buy your book and learn how to navigate dating with success. So you're amazing. Like I'm just so thankful for your warrior friendship. Thank you for sharing your story today and I'm cheering you on big time.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, I so appreciate
0: that.